hit me. From Studio P in Sausalito, the home of the hit, it's time for... Suckatash. Yes, Suckatash, the comedy soundcast soundcast featuring snippets from comedy... Soundcasts. And also interviews with comedians, comedian soundcasters, and other showbiz folk. And now, here's your host, internationally recognized comedy soundcast soundcaster, Mark... Thanks, Bill. Hey, Bill, you have any plans for Thanksgiving? Bill? Bill? Man, that guy doesn't waste any time getting out of here, does he? Hi, I'm Mark Hershon, and happy Thanksgiving week to you. Our little feast for you with this episode 280 is pretty neat, although you are going to have to work a little bit for it, I'm afraid. More about that in a minute. First, though, did you get the chance to hear the previous episode 279, entitled Three for the Road, and helmed by our every other weekly host, Tyson Saner. It was a doozy, a movie-induced triple banger of a show featuring clips from Blood and Black Rum podcast, I Finally Watched, and the Screen Drafts soundcast. You can still grab it from our home site at SuccotashShow.com, but also pretty much anywhere else that soundcasts are streamed and or downloaded like Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Audible, and so forth. For this week's installment, I have a chat with comedian, writer, producer, soundcaster, Dana Gould. He's written for The Simpsons. He wrote and produced three seasons of Stan Against Evil, a great little show on IFC, which you can now find on Hulu, and the second season of a YouTube series he produces and hosts, Hanging with Dr. Z, in which he plays Dr. Zaius from the original Planet of the Apes movies, now hosting his own TV show that's about to drop next February. He's been hosting his own soundcast, The Dana Gould Hour, for a number of years, and just a couple of weeks ago, a documentary comedy film that Dana made with Bobcat Goldthwait dropped on streaming called Joyride. We first got to know each other back in the glory days of the stand-up comedy boom in San Francisco in the 1980s, and as he was just appearing at the Punchline in San Francisco this past weekend, we got a chance to sit down and catch up. Now, I mentioned you were going to have to work for this episode, and here's what I mean. The audio quality for our interview is incredibly poor. Piss poor. Totally sucks. Not sure why, except we decided to meet at a North Beach cafe to have our chat, and there was music piped in. They wouldn't turn it down, and loud customers were clattering their silverware and stuff nearby. So, big apologies. I've done the best I can to clean things up and even stuff out, but it's it's a pretty it, it's pretty hard to hear in spots, and my big apologies for that. We'll get to my chat with Dana Gould in just a moment after this word from our longtime make-believe sponsor, Henderson's Pants, and their all-new holiday pants. Season's greetings, friends, from me, Bill Haywatt, and everyone at Henderson's Pants. Now, although this is supposed to be the happiest time of the year, it's also a time for frayed nerves, temper tantrums, and road rage. And now there's all this brouhaha about what to even call the events around the winter solstice. Well, far be it from Henderson's Pants to ruffle any feathers so you won't be hearing us uttering the C word anytime soon, which 
is why Henderson's is introducing their holiday pants just in time for this festive season. Intentionally non-denominational, Henderson's holiday pants are just what the discriminating celebrant is wearing this year. Perfect for office parties, family get-togethers, or late-night shopping sprees, these snappy trousers are designed to honor every persuasion of winter celebration. How can one pair of pants do all of that, you might ask? Simple, we might answer. Because these holiday pants are made by a special group of Amish craftsmen in a barn covered with hex signs in the middle of Pennsylvania Dutch country. They weave the sturdy cotton twill fabric themselves before stitching each pair together by hand. These humble tailors have no holiday celebration, no electricity, and no alcohol. They literally live for the opportunity to craft each and every pair of Henderson's holiday pants. And they don't care if it's Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, or that holiday around the god baby with the decorated pine tree and the name that makes some people so very angry. Originally designed for Ebenezer Scrooge, Hermie the Elf, and the Grinch that stole Christmas. Henderson's holiday pants are available wherever there's a dude dressed like Santa outside, ringing a bell and begging for your spare change. Happy holidays from Henderson's, makers of fine trousers and pantaloons since 1 AD. And now back to Succotash. What was, uh, what was Goldthwait talking about on the... Well, it was it was a. Hopefully, they were plugging our movie. Oh, he plugged it a number of times. He didn't. He, and he did he, an amazing job. And and I was trying to get a chance to see it before we got a chance to talk. But I did so busy, I didn't get a chance to. But I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's actually really good. Uh, it's we toured together uh, just because we wanted to. Like, you know, we we both are old men <laughs> who, uh, and uh, it's like you know like let's go on the road together we don't have to just be sitting by yourself in Dearborn, Michigan for yeah. a weekend yeah. um, and uh, so like between your draw and my draw we can probably do rock clubs like one night of a 300, 400 seater mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and it, we did it worked and uh, it was really fun, and it was just really fun. But what we would do is we'd go on at the beginning together and flip a coin, mm. and then whoever would win would close. And then we just found that the people liked it much better when we were on stage together, and that part of the show gave it longer and longer and longer. And so we just said, let's just try to stay on stage the whole time. And it worked instantly. It worked instantly. Mm. Uh, and, you know, I know his act, he knows my act, and we would converse and then like I'd see him getting close to something and, and or he'd see me getting close to something or I knew one thing led to another yeah, thing yeah. and just we'd go and the show's we'd go like two hours and is that what Joyride captures is the two of you yeah the joy, and so, but, so Joyride is that over three or four shows but also traveling in between the gigs and archival stuff like because we used to hate each other's guts and we talk about that extensively and we go into our childhoods and we have like home movie footage oh okay yeah yeah it's like you know it's like that's stuff about my family of origin stuff about Bob's family of origin me working with footage of me and Bob Hope trying to film a commercial <laughs> footage of Bob burning down the Tonight Show like, we have all that because it's a documentary it's and the car accident uh, the car accident there's photos of it yeah uh, there's no video 
but that was like mid mid gig, right? I mean, so well, that was we were driving into the we were driving into the venue to film the first night. And we had to take six months off <laughs> to recover from the car accident, and then we just had planned to do a concert show, and then COVID hit, mm. and so Bob had all this time, and he just he discovered this other movie in it. It's all Bob. I mean, I'm just. Give him full credit. He's a really brilliant. Well, he goes. He's he, a brilliant filmmaker. He really is. Yeah. Well, on Brett Goldstein's podcast, he goes into uh, it. Kind of the, gets into the tech part of it about how he shot it, why you guys had cameras on yeah. stage, and yeah. how yeah. he wanted to get that. Yeah, feel. it doesn't look like any other stand-up special. That's what he was saying. He, he made a joke about that. He said, you know, you watch these stand-up specials where all of a sudden the director decides, well, let's show what it's like from the really shitty scenes. <laughs> <laughs> Dana Carvey once said, Elias, what member of the audience is literally flying over the rest of the audience while you're doing your show? I've yeah. never seen that angle before. I did, I, did, uh, I did a special where Robin asked me, was that shot on a phone? <laughs> <laughs> um, but it must have been great to have him kind of in the command chair so to speak, because of his history of yeah, directing was, and I, stuff. And I had no, like, I don't, I'm a, I'm a writer, and uh, uh, I should be writing right now. <laughs> That's how you know I'm a writer, because I'm not writing. But, uh, <laughs> but I don't have any urge to direct, <laughs> so it's really, really great. No, but when, when you did Stand Against Evil, you uh -huh. had a big controlling hand oh, yeah, on yeah, that, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, but did you direct any of those episodes? I didn't, I kind of directed, I mean, like, I would block scenes, I mean, I worked with Rob Cohen, who's, like, mm. my partner and uh, professional, <laughs> I could do better than him, <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, we, but Rob and I are like Bob and I, we, like, we yeah. don't have to talk, we just, like, yeah, 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 you know, we, we get it, share a brain, share a brain, mm -hmm. and, uh, and, uh, and so, um, you know, in TV, the exec producer is the is the final say. So uh, it was, for, you know, Rob did the hard hard stuff, and then I got to come in the last minute. And really, I, what I really did on Stand Against Evil was uh, modulate performance and, and sometimes block block out a scene if it wasn't working or popping. And um, so that was really good. I don't know lenses. I don't know, yeah. like, a 20 or a 50 or, or you know, what, what the benefit of this lens is to that one. And I, you, do, well, you can say what the feel you're looking for. Yeah, and but, I can't, but I don't know, like, a, like a long lens will give you a more intimate feel. And no, but then your director of photography can go, oh, yeah, you want a yeah, 70 yeah, or yeah, whatever. Yeah, I, probably, I, I did direct one thing once, and I found it really boring. <laughs> And my DP basically directed it, and has gone under a great career as a director. <laughs> Every time I see him, he's like, "By the way, thank you." <laughs> the closest the closest I ever got to directing something was I was on the set of this Halloween movie I wrote for the Hallmark Channel. What's it? What was that called? It's called Monster Makers. Oh, great! And it had uh, Adam had Adam Baldwin uh -huh. and. Uh, um, who else was in that? Linda Blair. Oh yeah, was nice. in there. Um, She's a good egg. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the the director was a guy who came from you know most directors are editors yeah. or they he was a stuntman. That's great. <laughs> Do you remember the uh, six million dollar man sure. episode with the um, Bigfoot? Yeah. Not Richard the one. Not, not Richard Keel though. When Bigfoot reprises 
in the thing, and whatever you actually. Well, he was the stuntman who was the Bigfoot for all the shit Richard Keel can't do. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, and so that's where he came from. So we're he we're doing this scene, and we're in in this living room with these characters. He's a big old guy. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, and George Kennedy is in the movie. He plays a he plays a retired film director in the movie. So we're shooting this scene. That's crazy. And he turns, and this David Cass is the guy's name. He turns to me, he goes, well, what'd you think of that, Mark? He's a guy from Texas. I go, oh, that was really good. He goes, well, what would you do different? I go, well, I don't know. I think you did everything right. I mean, if those guys came from over there, it'd be kind of interesting. He goes, everyone back to one. The writer thinks we should redo the scene. I go, what the fuck are you throwing me under the bus for, you asshole? Was he doing it to be funny? Or was he, he was kind of doing it to set, because I wasn't, I had learned my lesson from the first movie I did where, my, my producer said, you can be on the set. We don't let writers on the set. We usually mm-hmm. let them come for a day. And I understand that. Yeah, it says, you can come. you got to pay for your own way. you got to pay for your own hotel room. Uh-huh. We'll give you our rate. I go, okay, we're shooting in San Diego. And he says, but if the director says anything, you're gone. Yeah. All right. So just I knew how to behave myself. Yeah, I've been sure. on film sets before. And after that, um, there were a couple things where I actually literally saved, like, days of... Uh-huh. Yeah, well, that's when you're going to get a producer yeah. credit, too. Right? Yeah. yeah, but anyway, so, just so funny, the guy throws me under the bus like that. It's like, oh, man, so... And I, it's hard because it's, it, it is... You, there's nothing more boring than a perfectly realized script. Because mm-hmm. it becomes a different thing. You know, it needs, there's no life in the script. It's, it is literally a blueprint. There are classic examples of, I'm sure you know the story about... Uh, God, it's too early in the morning. Um, who wrote The Big Sleep? Oh. Uh, Raymond Chandler. Yes. And uh, the screenplay was written by another giant writer. Uh, the screenplay was written by a southern novelist that worked in Hollywood for years. Um, not, uh, he's... He's uh, portrayed as a drunk in Barton Fink. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, that guy. William Faulkner. Yes. And uh, I'm, I'm hoping his names are right. I know it's Raymond Chandler. Possibly William Faulkner. Highly likely William Faulkner. William Faulkner's writing the script in Big Sleep. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he calls up Raymond Chandler. And he goes, Mr. Chandler, it's Bill Faulkner. I'm, uh, I'm working on your novel, and it's just brilliant. And I'm, I'm, I'm really honored to be working on it, sir. But uh, I, I have one question. I, I'm near the end here, and I, and I can't figure out why the butler was drowned in the car at the beginning of the movie. And Chandler said, I gotta call you back. <laughs> so he calls back the two days and goes, Yeah, yeah, that's not supposed to be in there. <laughs> <laughs> that's from an old draft. <laughs> But it's in there. That's brilliant. It's in there. You can see it today. Oh, my God. That's yeah. brilliant. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. I love that stuff. Oh, my gosh. So, that uh, experience of... <laughs> I, love, I love this. Oh, yeah, and it's always that way. It's always, it's, when it gets down to it, it's a guy who didn't know what he was doing, or it's a guy who said, oh, yeah, I gave you the wrong pages. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's, or just like, I have a little article that I write for uh, this new thing called Bulletin. I do two little blog posts a week, mm-hmm. seven in a word. Uh, just obscure film knowledge and, and, you know, just weird film stories. Mm-hmm. It's called Cinemorph. And uh, it's just because I, 
I, I love that stuff. And it's all just weird, accidental stuff. Like, yeah. Just stories that uh, I find utterly fascinating. Like, you know, that wasn't supposed to happen. This is what happened, really. And, mm-hmm. and you know, um, it was the one I, I just wrote about. Yeah, Al Adamson and Sam Sherman, the, the B-movie guys from the 60s and 70s. Yeah. Who did, like, Blood of Ghastly Horror and things like that. You know, Blood of Ghastly Horror was five movies before it was Blood of Ghastly Horror. <laughs> it was Echo of Terror, and that didn't work, and then it was Psycho a Go-Go, and then they reshot some more, and it became Fiend's Electronic Brain. It actually got released, but it didn't do that well, so they added more footage. <laughs> it became Blood, Blood of Ghastly Horror. made money. <laughs> And then they, the next movie they made was uh, they shot uh, Al Adamson's father was a cowboy star. Uh, uh, Denver Dixon, he did like <laughs> big movie cowboy stuff. Yeah. So he knew all these old cowboy guys. Oh, okay. It was the late 60s and they needed a location for their, for their movie. So, well, George Spann is a friend of mine. So they went Span out to the Spann Ranch. And all these hippies living on the ranch. We kept having a kick him off the set <laughs> literally kicking the Manson family off, off the set, set. <laughs> oh amazing. my god yeah it's just amazing and we, then he ended up basically Al got murdered in a way that was like right out of one of his movies oh the guy god. handyman the handyman came to believe he was Al no Al buried him under the hot tub <laughs> it was gonna take his place it basically did Oh my god. Yeah, my brother was like, no, I would just take off. Well, you had. Um, I mean, it's crazy stuff. And it's just like, yeah, it's all real. A recent episode of the, the Dana Gould Hour, you had uh, Jeff Abraham on with. Yeah. Lieberman. No, no, no. With the, the book about the, uh, the deaths. Oh, Steve. Jeff Abraham. Yeah, of course. Yes. I was saying Jeff Lieberman. Yeah, yeah. The no. director. Yeah. The, yeah. No, yeah, no. Steve, Jeff Abraham and um, his partner. Uh, uh, the show won't go on. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's just, I'm just bringing it, referencing it because of that sort of obscure yeah, yeah, showbiz no, thing. I right? didn't this. know of Nick Lowe. Because Goldthwait just saw Nick Lowe. I was like, I got a story about Nick Lowe for you. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 yeah, and then was electrocuted, or he electrocuted himself, right? And then, yeah. then but then Passed came back to life. Yeah, in the car, brought him back to life in the ambulance. And then, like, <laughs> literally in the pub drinking to Nick. And then he walked in. What's up? <laughs> uh, so it's it, it's funny that the the things that at least that I'm aware of that you do taps into these things that you love, right? Yeah. So I mean, uh, obviously things that you create do, but even the way you've got guests on your show and things like that, it's all kind of this. Yeah, my guys, cat is always my wife. My wife will be. Um, um, She's like, you need bigger guests. You need to get, you know, like, Cat Williams. <laughs> like, I'm just, my, I mean, I, I don't get paid to do my podcast. But po- I mean, I'm, I don't really make a profit on it. I make enough money to pay the people that make it. But it is not a profit venture. It's just yeah. it keeps me out there. keeps me engaged and people like it. Right. Uh, you know, it, it, it keeps my fan base and engaged and allows me to do other stuff because of that yeah. and uh, and I just I have on who I want to have on I talk about stuff I want to talk about <laughs> and it goes from there yeah. well that's I mean that's the beauty of it because now podcasts have reached a level of 
almost like competing talk shows where yeah. you can hear Tom Hanks on eight shows right. this week because he's got a movie coming right. out. Right. 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 So it's yeah. like, well, yeah, you could do that, but... Yeah, they'll be doing WTF soon, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. But it's like, well, what about these people that don't get that kind of exposure? But you're not even doing it to expose these people. You do it because you enjoy a conversation with somebody. Yeah, and it's just a, it's somebody. A, my show is set up like I designed it like what would have, you know, I want it to feel like it's 1966. I kind of like that, you know, sort of bongos and yeah. I just kind of like that kind of beatnik, surf beatnik <laughs> kind of era and before the 60s got spooky. And, uh, and, yeah, I just talk about stuff that I like to talk about with people I find interesting, and it's more of a mood—it's more of a mood piece than anything else. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that I just was completely delighted by was hanging with Doctor Z, <laughs> which is just season two. I, doing notes on season two yesterday. Yeah. Well, I—I'm happy to say I believe I kicked a little bit oh, into the kitty for season two absolutely did you, get a, did you get whatever you bought yet you, I you sent out a bunch of stuff I think I did I can't yeah. keep track of everything yeah. but uh, we, that was that was very uh, a surprise to me <laughs> which part <laughs> the response oh really I thought 12 people would watch it yeah. yeah well it's I think it's uh, first of all just the idea itself is just so mesmerizingly bizarre that's well put. I mean, because it's it's like <laughs> it's like eight different layers of things. <laughs> it is an onion. It's, it is an onion for, for, the, sure. for those listeners who don't know what what hanging with Doctor Z is, it's Dana Gould as Doctor Zayas from the original Planet of the yeah. Apes, <laughs> hosting a '60s style talk show, '60s or right. '70s yeah, style talk show, '69. Um, and then I don't know if the way you guys shot was because of the pandemic, where yeah, you're just in a in a sh- studio by yourself with a guest on a, on a monitor. Yeah, it was a very space space ghost yeah. yeah, yeah, that was for COVID safety. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> and we shot it. It's uh, it's all green screen, which you'd never know. The guy who put it together, oh, quite brilliant. Um, and uh, and uh, Doctor Z, the the, the it, it is Doctor Z. I'm wearing the makeup. It's exactly. What they had in the movie. It's, oh no! It's the it's, joke wouldn't work. Yeah. If I didn't look exactly. No, and that's like and that's the thing. And I love the fact you've got these these retro photographs uh, that you use to promote it and yeah. stuff. Review with yeah, celebrities. Like, and who, just, whoever does your Photoshop stuff is uh, really good at. Yeah, it. Yeah, uh, there's a guy uh, named Wallace McBride. But uh, uh, just fantastic. Yeah. Just, and, and yeah, and it, yeah, it's just like 19, again, it's like everything's like 1969. He hangs out with Hefner at the mansion, but he also was Debbie Harry's roommate. <laughs> He's sort of like a, a like a pop cultural Forrest Gump from the pop culture that we. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, you know, he brokered arguments among the Ramones. <laughs> he also, uh, you know, he did a lot of drugs. He did a lot of drugs. <laughs> Yeah. He went to parties in New York and woke up on Robbie Krieger's roof in Venice <laughs> with Twiggy. <laughs> yeah. but, so but I, I love those guys. Like R.J. Wagner is a great example. Right. That you just like during the era of pre-consequences when there was yes. libertine, <laughs> the libertine element was so strong. Sammy and you know that whole era of just like yeah, these guys did were everywhere, did everything with everyone. I just love that. So, the multi-layered element of Dr. Z, I mean, and you can see it in, you know, Stand Against Evil, 
just this idea that there's these all these different layers at yeah, play yeah. is kind of a, a hallmark of your humor in a lot of ways, yeah. right? I mean, you can even look at your stand-up as yeah. being this sort of pastiche of different Skits. things that you kind of weave together. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing, though. It's, it's, it's not like just it's not it's not just stuff piled up on itself. It's woven together. Which turns it into this very unique thing. Baroque. So, so like something. How does something like Hang with Doctor Z come together? Because I mean, you've been doing this Doctor Zayas okay, impression yeah, yeah. for years. It's, they all, you know, it, it, it is like a painting. This is really very, very. Uh, it's like a painting that you just keep adding mm. things to. It. And uh, you know, I did. I did. I, I wrote a sketch years ago for the Ben Stiller show that we never shot because we got canceled. Uh, it was uh, it was Planet of the Apes the musical, and then The Simpsons did that. I didn't write that. That was written by I believe David Cohen. I, my apologies if I have the right or wrong, but I had nothing to do with the Planet musical and The Simpsons yeah. before I got there, and they did a better job than I would have done. Um, but we, I did have a Planet of the Apes the musical sketch for the Ben Stiller show that was just the commercial for it coming out. Oh, okay, back. right. And then the second bit, you know, because you call back a sketch in the second act, was uh, from the producers of Planet of the Apes the musical, uh, 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 Dr. Zayas is Mark Twain tonight. <laughs> and that's all we did. Uh, and I did it up here live at Sketchfest years later with yeah. John Hodgman. <laughs> and then Joel Hodgson, friend of mine, Mystery Science Theater, saw it on YouTube and said, hey, would you do something like that for the Mystery Science Theater thing? And I said, sure. And then Wayne Fetterman said, hey, could you do that for the Christmas show at Largo? Paul Williams, who was in one of the Planet of the Apes movies, is going to be there. And then, and then I, I said, sure. And it was right around there that he, because I was doing all these weird events, that he, the character, I'm about to see started to develop this sort of sanity of Jewish showbiz thing because the premise was always that he was an actor right but he did a lot of things and then the, the one that really cemented it was uh, um, Ben Mankiewicz at mm. Total Classic Movies saw them and said we're doing uh, uh, Planet of the Apes as one of these um, I forget what they're like Fathom events. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, in theaters. 50 movies, 50 theaters across the country. And he goes, normally I interview a star from the movie, and we show that at the beginning. Would you want to do this? No way. Yeah, as Dr. Z. And I went, absolutely. Oh, my God, that's And fantastic. that's really when it oh. when it landed. Yeah. Ben Mankiewicz is brilliant. Mm. Five stars. He knew exactly how to play it. Nice. He knew exactly... How to surf with it, um, and it really—you can watch it on YouTube. It worked like gangbusters. Nice. Like, and he was, you know, he's, you know, he was talking about. It was like, you know, Chuck Heston. Here's the thing with Chuck. I love Chuck. Chuck and I don't agree on anything, you know. And, and of course, was, he played it completely straight. Right. It was 1967. And it was the election, and it was an election year. <laughs> and I was, of course, I was became McCarthy, and then I became for Bobby because everybody did. <laughs> But Chuck, Chuck, Chuck was for Nixon, and I was like, Chuck Heston, so and so, I'm never talking to you again. Two hours later, knock on my dressing room door, Chuck Heston, I made you an ambrosia sound. <laughs> you couldn't hate the guy. <laughs> <laughs>
And I'll tell you one thing about Chuck Heston people don't know. He should wear a conical hat with a half moon and a star because he's a wizard in the kitchen. <laughs> and, and that's really where it kind of chilled. And then, and then Rob Cohen, my, uh, who I worked with on Hank, on Set Stojo and Stand Against Evil and a million other things, said, uh, why don't we do uh, the Dr. Zayas talk show? And uh, it was doing pandemic the board. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, what can you do that's really expensive that we will have to pay for? <laughs> but it will also put us at risk of being sued. I've got a great idea. Um, so, uh, so that's it was the origin of the show. That's great. Yeah. That's great. And by that time, the, the characters really. We did it. We told people that it was thinking between two ferns. But between two friends is very assy. It's very like they shit on each other. Yeah. You know, it's a lot of aggression. Yes. And we did it for the we stopped the first interview ten minutes in and said, This isn't working. because um, I don't have that energy, I don't like that kind of stuff. I don't watch between two friends, it makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. Even jokingly. Um, I'm just not that kind of person. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> Rob just got a big piece of cardboard and he wrote Sammy ah. and put it right out of my eyeline. <clears throat> and that was it. It's like perfect. And then it was all you, this guy. I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a, and, and, then, and then it was just like, we got it. Yeah. We, we got it. We got the algorithm. Once you get that formula down, it's just like. Yeah, and then we, I just watched it in the second season with uh, Dave Foley. And, oh. there's, and I'm going to be honest, like, I don't, I watch it, it's like I've never seen it before because. That's funny. I don't know what I'm saying. That's like, funny. Like, I was going to ask, really I mean, how, how much of that stuff is you're just pulling as you go? Oh, oh, based on oh, the moment. Oh, um, you know, the, the monologue jokes me right. But, no, the interview is just. The other thing that how but I don't even remember like I was saying stuff today full of it I didn't remember saying that's funny like that like I did, did people don't understand I can't do it without this guy yeah I do that. I need vitamin D A V E full well that's like an improv show when I do improv I can't remember anything yeah, remember that happened on stage yeah. right yeah, yeah um, the other thing that sells that piece in particular is the makeup is uh, alarmingly impeccable. It's, no, it is exactly what they had in the movie. It's done by a guy named Andy Schoenberg who works at K&B Effects that does Walking yeah. Dead and everything. Every Quentin Tarantino movie you've ever seen. I and mean, then these guys yeah, yeah. do it. It's exactly the only thing different between what Murray Sevens wore and what I'm wearing is the glue is better. Yeah. There's a new oh, okay. kind of surgical adhesive that they use now. Yeah. Where they just have spirit guns. They could pull it off their face at the end of the day. I can't. Really? As we painted off of acetate. Oh, wow. It's really on there. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. But it really does help sell it. Oh, it's, it's no, like, it's, it's, that's it's, it. It's amazing. If that didn't work, the joke wouldn't work. Yeah. yeah. If it was a monkey suit, it wouldn't... It was just a bad mask. That's all you would see. Yes. It's the fact that, like... No, that is Dr. Zane. <laughs> that's, the, that's the thing that... And he dresses like, you know... Uh, like Johnny Carson in '69. Yes, yeah. With Carson wearing turtlenecks and scarves. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's all that. Yeah, it's all that. It's great. Yeah. Um, is there a kind of level of perfectionism in the stuff you put together? Yes. <laughs> yeah, but only I notice it. But yeah, but if you saw the notes that Rob and I give to the editor 
Yeah. For the Z, it's like, I feel bad for that. Really? We, all, we open every interview with our apologies. <laughs> yeah. But even something like the podcast, are you, do you kind of get in the weeds with stuff? Oh, I edit them all. Do you? Yeah, I don't do the final assembly, but I edit them down. And I'm doing the Joyride album right now, too. Oh, okay. So it's a lot of, like, like a, like a, especially with stand-up and things like that, like, if a word doesn't need to be there, I don't want it there. Yeah. You know, and I'll cut it out. I will blow up the track and cut it out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't do anything for anybody but me. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's fine. And was that always sort of a, an element of, even when you were just doing stand-up before you got into any other kind of things, was your stand-up as... Uh, Particular in terms of its assembly. Yeah, but what I what I found with my stand up, I was it was about nine. I started doing it in 1982 when I was 17, and around 1985 or six, I started to get into the idea of doing what I thought was funny. Not just mm. doing my version of George Carlin and yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that was always darker, weirder stuff. Yeah. Like I like, you know, I like horror movies and weird cult movies, and I like, you know, I, I, I was not a, my my tastes were mainstream. I, I liked punk music, mm. new wave music, and, and I didn't like Springsteen. Uh, you know, I, I, I didn't like Springsteen. I liked John Jones. I liked yeah. Elvis Costello. I, you know, and, and I just started to drive my comedy in the same area. Like, I was just talking about stuff that I found interesting and that I found funny. And a lot of it, unfortunately, at the time, was very dark. Right. Because I was going through mm. a bro- an emotional growth period that was painful. Um, because I was raised in chaos, um, and but so I got tagged as like the dark guy, yeah. the depressed guy. And, uh, I was at the time, but I'm not. I mean, it's it's, it's just not who I am at all. Yeah. Uh, um, but what I was doing was I was doing what I thought was funny, and as I got healthy, I still did what I thought was funny. I could probably, I would probably have ended up being a lot more successful and famous had I never done that and just Mm. used my skill set, which is pretty solid. Uh, Maybe, or they would be more mainstream. Like, I like, like if if I had gotten married early and had kids, I might have. If, if, if I had gotten my shit together and got married early so I might have been like a Jim Gaffigan guy I might, I mean, might not have become a stand-up yeah to, I mean after I was a stand-up right right right, right. Yeah. I might have become a Jim Gaffigan guy I'm not a knock on Jim I love Jim he's good yeah um, it's whatever you do it's just when people ask me for advice I just go do what makes you laugh they'll, they'll come along yeah and we'll find a way to make it we'll find a way to get it over to them yeah, otherwise you're just doing what somebody else is doing anyway, and yeah, yeah. they've probably been doing it longer than you and better than you, so... Yeah, exactly. Exactly, yeah. That's, that's all. Yeah. Uh, when you say you were sort of raised in chaos, uh, what, is that, what is that kind of reference? Um, I was the only... Uh, I have four older brothers, 
two parents and a younger sister. And with the exception of my younger sister, who was literally a child, uh, I was the only non-alcoholic in the building. Uh, so it was wow. Yeah, it was. It was. It was. There was nothing. There was nothing stable. There was. It was very. It was loud, messy, and violent all the time. Mm. And there was just no. And I did not. Uh, you know, I just stayed out of the way until I could leave. So was was comedy sort of an escape for you on a certain level? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Hundred percent. And also got me out of. I grew up in a little town in Massachusetts. Um, and it motivated me to get out and go to Boston, which was a big, scary city that terrified me because I was from suburbs. Yeah. And my, I was raised to believe by my dad that, you know, cities are full of people of a certain ethnicity that were waiting to kill you. Um, and it's all we ever heard. Right. You know, so why wouldn't you believe it? Yeah. I never heard another version yeah. from anybody. Uh, so yeah, it took a long time before I was, oh, no, this is fine, this is great. This is where I want to be. Yeah. Um, I, don't I, mean, I didn't really have a relationship with my dad until I was in my career. Wow. Wow. I think that's, I don't want to say typical, but I've certainly heard it's that story before. Even yeah. I mean, my, my dad was pretty, you know, kind of a normal guy, but my sense of a relationship with him, I think it's it's almost you have to kind of go around a certain corner in your own life where you go, 100%. okay, now I can talk to you. you yeah, when well, was your dad born? He was born in 1930. Same. So you know, yeah, it's like... That Depression era kind of thing, World War II. Yes. Uh, and my dad was in advertising. Oh, wow. He, were, he was the sales manager for uh, TV Guide in Northern California. Yeah, your dad was Don Draper. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it was... That, yeah, it was just that generation of guys that didn't weren't demonstrative and you know my dad said once I was, we were home when I was married we were home with a baby and I was uh, putting a diaper on her and my dad said to my wife at the time if you know I had six kids I've never touched a diaper in my life. <laughs> like with pride right? Yeah. yeah and my wife said you know whose house that wouldn't go over well in? Mine <laughs> And, and and then I thought later I was like, that's sad. <laughs> that's sad. Yeah, I was just like, I have babies, but I never got to know them. <laughs> that's, that's a shame. Yeah, babies are great. Yeah, 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 for sure. But he, I mean, I got he's ninety one now, and uh, he's still gone. And uh, I, I think he knows he made a series of Chinese yeah. yeah. I think he doesn't talk about it. Uh, I don't even know. But he certainly, Mello, was your dad still with No, he passed away almost 20 years ago. Oh, uh, you died young? Yeah, 72. Smoker? No. No, just didn't really take care of himself. Just uh-huh. didn't exercise, just, I don't know, had some, uh, I think there were probably some congenital things that mm-hmm. just didn't take care of and stuff like yeah. that. Well, my dad still, my dad had a stroke a couple of years ago mm-hmm. because of this drug he was taking called Vioxx. Oh, yeah. Rushed through. Yes. Uh, they found it later. Oh, it gives everybody heart attacks and strokes. Oh, jeez. But, uh, recovered from that, still drinks, 
My mom has dementia and lives in the nursing home. Oh, that's tough. My my wife's mom is getting there. It's yeah. tough. Yeah, and so my dad lives alone, and when I went to visit him for the first time. I thought it was going to be like about Schmidt. Mm-hmm. The place was just going to be a disaster. Yeah. Spotless. Really? Yeah, it's like a barracks. Yeah. Was, he he, was he in the military? He was. Gets up, dirties a tray, dirties a dish, washes the dish, dries the dish, puts the dish. Some of that military muscle memory sticks with people. Yeah, man. yeah, yeah. I'm, I was never in the military. Well, I don't want to hold you up. I know you got stuff going on. Oh, yeah? Um, yeah, I'm sure you do. I do. I'm, no, I'm just literally going to go back into my little hovel and sit until showtime and edit. I'm doing album notes, podcast notes, writing a movie. Wow. You think I'd just be doing the thing that's right? paying for my year? Right. I'll get to that. Yeah. No, I I do a half a dozen things constantly, yeah. and I have a full time job. Harder, yeah, harder to hit a moving target. Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So you're working on a movie. Working you're working movie. on that. You've got the podcast. Podcast comes out regularly. Working on a movie podcast comes out one a month. One a month. Uh, but it's. Two and a half hours long. Yes, Dana, the Dana Gould Hour. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Cinemorphous every Monday and Wednesday at DanaGouldBulletin.com. Uh, okay. Season two with Hang with Dr. Z starts February 14th. Nice. 2022. The movie will be at some point after that. Nice. And uh, there's... Uh, Joyride's available Joy right Rides now. Joyride's available now. And there's uh, one or two things I can't talk about yet. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> I appreciate getting the chance to catch up with you. I think yeah. we last saw our, each other in... Mill Valley like six years ago. Yeah, Robin and Rick were there. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, so it's good to catch up with you. Appreciate yeah, yeah. it. Yeah, I can't believe it's been that long. I know. Yeah. But uh, thank you very much, oh, and sure. uh, good luck with everything, and uh, I'll have appropriate links on yeah, our, please do, the yeah. blog piece that goes with the, the episode. Super cool. Excellent. Now turn that off and talk shit about people we know. You can find all the pertinent links for Dana's wonderful stuff up at SuccotashShow.com. Hopefully the next time we do chat it up, it will be in quieter surroundings. Before I get out of here to go dig into some turkey and stuffing, or maybe leftovers, or maybe go get a high colonic, let's quickly dip into the tweet sack. These are the names and handles of the folks kind enough to mention at Show in their social media streams. Some of them anyway. I get the feeling I keep missing people every time I do this, but we'll keep trying to get everybody listed in here that we can find week to week. The guys over at Wheelbarrow Full of Dicks, Dr. London Smith and Cameron over at the Jock Doc Podcast, Misfit Scully, Dr. Collision, Blaze Retweets, I Finally Watched, L Hummingbird, Blood and Black Rum, History of Bad Ideas, Salty Language Podcast, Rick Overton, Fascination Street, Never Explain Anything, B3F Podcast, Carrie Weinhold, Hunter Block, Peter Kim, and the Let's Chat Podcast. That's it for this installment of the Comedy Soundcast Soundcast, better known as Succotash. Thanks again to my special guest, Dana Gould. If you'd like to read me out for the lousy audio quality of the chat this week, feel free to drop me a note at marc at succotashshow.com. I will try to do better. Have yourself a scrumptedly umptious Thanksgiving, or at least the after-feast leftovers. Tyson Saner is taking a well-deserved extra week off next week for some holiday family fun, so I will be here for episode 281 and a selection of comedy soundcast clips. Enjoy yourself. 
Wear a mask if you're somewhere that calls for it. Get vaxxed. If you eat too well, demand Digel. And if anyone asks if you've heard anything good lately, won't you please pass the succotash? You've been listening to Succotash, the comedy soundcast soundcast with your host, Mark Hershaw. Brought to you by Henderson's Pants and... Imagine your company's name right here. Rate us and review us at Apple and Google Podcasts. Find us on the web at SuccotashShow.com. On Spotify. On Stitcher. On iHeartRadio. On YouTube. On SoundCloud. And wherever fine soundcasts are streamed and or downloaded. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Suckatash Show. Like us on Facebook. Email us at marc at succotashshow.com or call into the Suckatash Skype line at our toll call number 818-921-7212. You can also upload clips from your favorite comedy soundcasts directly to us using our direct upload link at hightail.com slash you slash Suckatash. Suckatash is produced and engineered by Joe Paulino through the auspices of Studio P. Sausalito, the home of the hit. Our hosts are Mark Hershon and Tyson Sainer. Our musical director is Scott Carvey. Our booth assistant is Kenny Durges. Suckatash is executive produced by Mark Hershon. Until next time, I'm your loyal booth announcer, Bill Haywatt, reminding you to please pass the Suckatash goodbye. This has been a Succotash Patch production.